0: Continue the Great Escape. I give you a little bit of an update on where we were last week. A little bit of a recap. Last week in our message, the Suffering of Sin, we saw the mighty goddess Isis fall in her role as the healer, as the Lord inflicted the Egyptians with a horrible outbreak of boils upon their skin. Through this plague, not only did God further humble the Egyptian people, but in doing so, he pointed to the suffering from sin in our lives that mimics the physical suffering that was manifested in these boils. This week, the Lord has another Egyptian god in His sights as He will bring yet another form of judgment down upon this rebellious people in our message titled, A Convenient Faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring your word, God. You know that I have prayed and studied hard for this, Lord, and I know that uh, my heart's desire, Lord, is to not have anyone hear from me, but, Lord, that they might hear from you. Uh, God, my desire is to remove the human element of this message and that, Lord, that the very Spirit of God would speak to us through your word, Lord. Reveal truth to us, Lord. We're a needy people. We're a hungry people. I pray that, Father, you'll feed us today. And help us, Lord, not to be the same as we walked in. Help us, Lord, to be a little bit closer, a little bit more like Christ when we leave these doors. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this message. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35, as we're going to be today. Um, Verse 13 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. This is the fifth time that exact same phrasing is used where he says, let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 14, for I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth, okay? Notice here the fact that it talks about it very. he says at this time, I mean, this is deliberately time specifically for this purpose. God always has a plan. This plague is focused specifically at the heart of Pharaoh. This is a difference we see. Again, there have been material attacks against the flesh, but at this point in time, we're going to see that it's going to be against the flesh, but it's also going to be against the heart of Pharaoh. God is stacking the case emotionally against Pharaoh to break through this hardened heart. Verse number 15, for now, I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. He's basically saying, look, you know, the gloves are coming off. No more Mr. Nice Guy. It's getting ready to get tough, right? And check this out. It's interesting when we we look at this, the fact that it takes the mighty hand of God. What it's saying here is like God's going to do his will when he wants to, how he wants to, and and according to his plan and where he chooses to do it. And then it says they're being cut off from the earth. And that's an interesting phrase because what it's talking about is the fact that if you remember the Egyptian gods and goddesses, they were tied to nature, right? So everything was tied to these different aspects of the physical world. And he's saying here, you know what? You're going to be cut off from that. This faith that you have in these gods of of nature, guess what? I'm destroying that. And we've noticed that and we've seen this now. This is the seventh plague and we're going to see it's against the seventh God. All 10 of them are against specific gods about shearing or cutting this connection or this dependence upon this planet earth as opposed to the creator. Then verse number 16, and in very deed for this cause, have I raised thee up. For to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Pharaoh's reign, his life, his choices, every aspect of what's taken place, God has allowed, and God has a purpose. There's a purpose to the good and to the bad. It's amazing. We look at the rebellious nature of him, and we go, how can that be? And we think about it in our own lives, right? There are people that we have to deal with on a regular basis, could be in our home, could be at our work, could be in our neighborhood, and we're like, why do I have to continually deal with this knucklehead? Why, why, why are they in my life? Goodness gracious, what possible purpose could there be to this person who just seems to be a thorn every time I interact with them, and I end up being frustrated and irritated? I get caught up in my flesh, and I'm like, man, I can't stand that guy. Does anybody know anybody like that in your life? Have you ever had that experience? Yes, we've all experienced that, right? Is that one person just, you just like, dude, I wish he'd get fired, right? <laughs> but what happens is we got to realize the fact that God has people in our lives for a purpose, right? We're supposed to learn something from this person. We go, why in the world would that be the case? Because guess what? God uses adversity to teach us. If God expects me to show grace, He might put me in a situation where I've got to show grace. Grace is to love or care for someone who doesn't deserve that love or that caring, right? So if I've got someone that, I, that I continually pushes that button in my heart and makes me frustrated and anger and angry, I'm not reflecting the light of Christ. I'm not showing the love of God. I'm not reflecting grace and mercy that God extended to me. Because think of how many times the times I can look at my life and realize that I failed God, over and over and over again. Yet again and again and again, what does God do? He shows me grace. He shows me mercy, and he works in my life. And yet, I don't want to extend the same thing to this person. No matter how frustrating they may be, it doesn't matter. Because it's not called, it's not a conditional thing. I'm supposed to be this way consistently because I represent the Lord. And we think about things like rebellion. We think about pain. We think about loss. And you go, really? Those? Those are for for God's good, God's glory? Those are for my good long-term? Pain, loss, suffering? Yes. Yes when you have a different perspective, right? If I have an earthly perspective, a short-term perspective, it's difficult to see anything that's tough or hard or, or hurtful in a different light than what it is, just simply being painful. What we have to realize is the fact that it's not a matter of understanding the whys of life. It's about trusting the who of life. Because if I know God's got an ultimately he's got control over all things and he's allowing things to take place in my life, I don't have to understand why it's happening, but if I trust the who and I trust his motives, well, then that allows me to be in a situation that I would, when some, you know, in my flesh, I might be freaking out and going crazy, but in my spirit, I can go, you know what? I'm not worried. Mm -hmm. That's the peace that passeth all understanding you hear in the scripture, right? That's the one you hear about and people go, what? Because it passes all understanding, our ability to comprehend, how can someone go through that situation and have peace? How can that person go through that kind of loss and have peace there's something supernatural taking place there and that's what this is talking about us understanding and trusting in him there will always be situations and circumstances that we're unhappy with it's at these times that we must remind ourselves that we don't have to have all the answers because we know who does have all the answers that's the most beautiful thing about being a Christian is the fact that we can trust in a God who knows more than we know because bottom line is like I said he has a plan even for things that I look at and I go there can make no sense for that dude to be in my life he is a nightmare, right? Yet God's going, you know what? When you learn how to love that guy, when you learn how to be patient with that guy, you are going to be displaying the grace that I, just, that I d- d- deliver to you almost every day, David. Learn from your experiences. Grow from them. Don't complain about them. We've got to remember that this life is not about us. This book, in fact, is not about us. We, you know, we, we do talk about it is an owner's manual for humanity. Yes, God does instruct us in everything. But ultimately, this book is not about us. This book is about him. Right. This is about God, not about us. And what happens is we reorient it, and we read the Bible looking for what I'm going to get out of it instead of realizing the fact God's saying, what do you learn about me? Yeah. Because if you prioritize me and make me number one in your life, guess what? Your life will fall in order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God says, look, I want to work through you, but you've got to get things oriented properly. Get a mindset that's right. Not this earthly short-term thinking, but a long-term heavenly thinking. And in that instance, when I trust God in the midst of a situation I don't understand, I can be peaceful because I'm going, you know what? I don't have to know. (laughs) I don't have to know. I can hold on to the fact that He knows, and that's good enough for me. When we are living living for him instead of ourselves and and our perspective shifts from the earthly in the short term, it changes to that heavenly long term. It's an intimate reverential relationship with Christ that allows us to live a life of faith instead of fear, right? So many people daily struggle with fear. Fear is not a part of who we should be as Christians. Bottom line is, I can look at my life and say, you know, am I seeking that relationship with God where it's all about him? and I really, really, really want to reverence God? Or in my relationship with God, am I looking for what I can get out of it for me? If we're honest, I think a lot of times we pray, what am I gonna get out of this? How can I use God to reach the end that I desire? As opposed to saying, how can I live for God for the end that he desires, right? Because that's what we need, what he desires. Whether we live a life of victory or defeat is a matter of faith. But you see, God knows best. He's allowing circumstances for, yes, our good, but ultimately, more importantly, for His glory, and that's what He's going to tell us. He understand the fact that Pharaoh is where he is because God's chosen it to be that way. He says, "As yet, verse number seventeen, as yet, exaltest thou thyself against my people that thou wilt not let them go." And now, in the introduction of our seventh plague. Behold, tomorrow, about this time. Now we know it's early in the morning. We found that in verse one. Tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail such as it hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof until now. There's going to be a supernatural hail, something that has never been seen on the planet. This plague is going to be an attack on the goddess Nut, N-U-T. N-U-T. You'll see I've got an image of her we're going to show you. So this is Nut here above, right? Remember Geb? Geb is the god of the earth, right? That's her husband. There's another image of them together. It's a little bit more clear. There you go. Now, so we're going to see this attack. This is going to be a betrayal. From the understand, from the Egyptian perspective, this is going to be a great betrayal as hail starts pouring down from heaven. Reason being, understand, they've trusted her, man. In the morning, she holds the moon up for them, or she'll the moon. Yeah, in the morning, uh, the sun. <laughs> no one even correct them. You're all just like, yeah, the moon. Great. Huh. Maybe y'all aren't paying attention. That's not good. <laughs> the sun during the day and he holds it in place but then the moon by night the stars he holds and displays all that for us right and then again and, the, and then he brings the rain or she brings the rain and she, she brings the breeze and she brings all of these wonderful things so now when this hail comes that's going to be whoa, whoa 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 whoa, what's going on this is going to be a great patrol this is going to rock them at their foundation this is going to be an attack that's going to be very 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 deeply affect the entire body of the Egyptian the Egyptian people look at verse number 19 Send therefore now and gather thy cattle. And this is awesome because look at this. It's displaying the grace and mercy we talked about, right? Undeserved love. Look at this. God says this. Send therefore now and gather thy people and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be in the, found in the field and shall not be brought home, he, will sh- he uh, the hail, shall come down upon them and they shall die. This is the very first deadly plague that you're going to see of all the plagues that have taken place. They've all been a matter of discomfort and suffering, but this is going to be the first one that will actually end in death. Now, notice a very specific warning here. God doesn't want people to die. It's not God's desire that people should suffer. God's desire is that they be safe. God's love for humanity is consistent. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. It is irrelevant. God loves us all. He created us all for a relationship with him. Now, we see there's a broader message in this scripture. I want you to pay attention. There's a word in here that stands out to me whenever I read this, and it says that they go home. It doesn't say house. It doesn't say shelter. He uses the word home, okay? It's talking about those that are in the field. When we think about the field, what I want you to consider is that's the world, right? Those that are in the field that will choose not to listen, they're not gonna heed the warning, right? We herald the warning of the coming of God. We herald the warning of the coming of death. We warn it all the time when we talk to people about the Lord. We're telling them of this truth. And what happens is those that will choose to stay in the field, guess what? They will face destruction. They will not heed God's word. And staying in the field, when judgment comes, they will have chosen death. It mirrors the very same warnings that we see in the New Testament thousands of years in the future. Here it's talking about the physical death of the Egyptians. But it's also pointing to the spiritual death that will come upon those who don't heed the warning and come out of the field or the world to be sheltered by God. Notice the word again, home. Think about it. You've ever heard the, term, the phrase, home is where the heart is, right? Just it's a place of comfort. You ever like been on a trip before and come home? Aren't you like in the car when you're driving? I cannot wait. Oh, I cannot wait to get to the house. I'm taking these clothes off. I'm going to take me a shower. I'm going to put on some pajamas. I'm going to give me a blanket. We're going to sit on the couch. We're going to cuddle. Right? <laughs> my wife and I cannot be the only ones that are like that, right? Yeah, you just there's that thing about it, man. I tell you, my wife, my favorite invention on the planet is the is the blanket. I love blankets. I just think they're awesome. I love, love, love blankets. They're amazing. Whoever invented, them, they were great. But what happens is we love that comfort of coming home. And what's beautiful in that scripture is the fact that it uses the word home, right? It says home. We consider this. We're out in the world laboring all day, and can't wait to get home and put on those comfy clothes. But destruction, understanding, destruction is looming. Thinking of all those that are out in the field laboring. Now, historically, we're talking about this story, what's happening here. But think about spiritually. Throughout time, people laboring out in the field. And yet, there's coming a time, there's a storm brewing. Consider the words of our Lord Matthew 11:28 says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, those out in the field, and I will give you rest. That's what we get when we get home. He says, I have a home for you. If they would just trust God and come on home. They have an opportunity. God gives them a chance. Verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. There are two types of fear. And I want you to notice it talks about the word of the Lord, listening to the word of the Lord. There's two types of fear. There's the fear, which is of danger loss, pain, things of that nature. But there's another type of fear that Scripture references, and that's what this one is. It's a reverence, a reverence for God, a reverence for God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, this: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That fear is talking about reverencing, but I want you that where it says, the whole, it says knowledge of the holy is understanding. What that's saying is, you know what? When you really understand God, you'll have a heavenly perspective. You will trust when you would not otherwise have trust. In your flesh, you won't be able to do this. But when you have the knowledge of the holy, there's an understanding there. What we see here, this is reverential faith. Verse 21. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. They did not fear God. There will always be those that will defy God. There will always be those that will not listen no matter how much you cry to them. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Bottom line is salvation is offered to the world, but not everyone's going to receive it. God's love is for the whole planet but not everyone's going to receive it. And what we unfortunately know by Scripture is the fact that the majority will choose death over life. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That doesn't mean we don't keep sharing the truth, right? They're going to trust in their human intellect, and they're going to remain in the field believing that they know best, only to find that there's destruction coming. Every one of us is facing a destruction of some sort. Verse 22 And the Lord said unto Moses, "'Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, "'and there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, "'upon man and upon beast, "'and upon every herb of the field "'throughout the land of Egypt.'" I want you to notice where it says, thine hand. Earlier in the scripture, God says, I'm going to place, I want you to raise my hand. He said, I'm going to place my hand against you. This is what it's showing us. Moses is a representation of God in the physical form here on earth. He's instructing him to use his own hand as an extension of himself. Moses is an ambassador of God, an ambassador. That's a representative of a country or a power, right? That's invested with, was given, invested with powers or ability to speak for that power on their behalf right? So we know that Moses is the ambassador for God. Guess what? Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 20 says this to us, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the work of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He stepped in for them to restore them, to reconcile them. He's given us that mission. And this is verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Moses, man, he's an ambassador to a lost world. Guess what? We are too. We're ambassadors to a lost world. As Moses warned them of destruction that's coming, guess what? We have to do the exact same thing. If we're as Christians, if we're just sitting back going, you know what, it's not my job, it's not my job, it's not my job. Man, you're dropping the ball because guess what? We're all, if you're a Christian today, if you know for sure that you're, Christ, that you're one of Christ, the bottom line is you, have a represent, you represent the Lord. You have a job to do in this world. It's a broken, hurting, destroyed world. The reason why the science is a place of, rec- of, of restoration it's because we want people to come in here that are broken, man. Come broken. We're not the answer, but He is the answer. So many of us have been broken in our lives, and if we've learned to trust God, we really trust God. Not use Him as a crutch, not use Him as a, as a, as a, as a matter of convenience, but truly trust Him. We've seen God take all these broken pieces and restore them to something even more beautiful than it was before. And then He used that very thing to then touch the lives of others. Christine and I are here today because we're broken people that God has restored. We've watched him take our lives from being shattered pieces on a floor and reassemble them into something beautiful and then to be able to use it for somebody else to touch somebody else's life, man. But it's not for our glory. It's for his, right? Ultimately, this life is for him. It's not for us. And we get so caught up in this world that is designed to make us feel like we're the most important thing in the world. I was watching a thing, Kirk Cameron had a thing was talking about with children and how, why children are so self-centered nowadays and what's changed the way they think. And he said, look, you really can't blame them. They were talking to sociologists and they said, consider the fact that the world is really, they feel like they're the center of the world, but guess what, the world is really working that way. When you use a smartphone, what does it do? It gives you a menu of things that you get to choose. You make the decision where things go. You pop up ads and the ads, what are the ads done? They're designed around the things that you've done. So the ads are actually to fit your life. They're popping up things that you want. The sense of importance, 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 and we have our kids. We why are they so selfish? Why are they so that we don't you know want our cultures creating them to be that way? And God knows this about us. He said, Look, it takes a, a, a heart of humility, and understanding where I should be in your life, and we have to be careful. of The fact that we constantly keep God where He should be, high and lifted up, high and lifted up, reverencing Him and understanding who He is and who we represent. Not everyone will listen, but our responsibility is to share the truth in love and leave the results up to God. Your job is not to go out and beat people with the gospel. Your job is to lovingly share the truth with them. It's not to go out and berate them. You you think about being at the abortion clinic and the people that stand by the side and they scream and yell, "Murderer!" How many people ever come to Christ through stuff like that? Never going to happen. But what if you lovingly care for that person? And you reach out a hand to them and say, you know what, I'll walk with you, no matter what's going on. Amen. I'll walk with you. I know you're broken, but I know who can restore you. That's what reaches out to people. Yeah. That's what changes things. And Moses shares the truth. Verse number 23. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along the ground upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Verse 24, so there was hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. This is something that's happening and it is impossible. You've got burning ice falling from the sky. Thunder and fire literally pouring down. This would look like a war zone. Like we said, the images of the Iraq war and fires coming down from the sky and explosions and thunder. That's what this looks like. This is like a war zone that they're experiencing right now. Unbelievable. The impossible happens as fire fire and ice are combined, terrorizing the country and its inhabitants, right? This is the first time, just a little side note, the very first time fire ever comes from heaven. It'll come many times after this, but this is the very first time it shows up. Verse 25, and the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field, okay? So whether they ignored God's warning or they defiantly disobeyed it, their fate was the same. The right? fate was exactly the same. When it came to the Egyptians, the hail did not discriminate as it laid waste to man, beast, and plant. Hmm. The same is true of those who will step into eternity. Because you know what? Without a relationship with God, they're all going to have the exact same ending fate. So guess what? Death does not discriminate. Just like the hail did not discriminate. If you chose the field over going home, You face destruction. The wonderful thing about God is that he loves us. And you see that warning that he gives in this? He says, hey, if you'll just listen and go home, you can avoid all the destruction. Or you have a free will. You can choose to stay in the field. You and I get to make a choice. People get to make a choice. Hebrews 9.27 says, and it is appointed unto men once to die. But after that, after this, the judgment. But check this out. When it came to the people of God, verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Goshen is literally, you've got Egypt as a whole, you've got the Nile River running through here, and the Nile River goes up and it splits like this in all these different branches. Goshen's sitting right here. There's all this Egypt all around it, and guess what? That one little section, no hail at all. Really, really cool. Just as the people of God are protected from destruction, so are we as his children. The the land of Goshen is a picture of salvation. The end is coming for us all, right? Will we face death with fear? Will we face death and walk into the loving arms of our Savior? As a Christian, to know that that's your fate, to know that when you take your last breath, you don't have to be afraid. I could take my last breath knowing that I'll be in the arms of the Lord. And as a preacher, being at at the bedside when people have died and you see their faces, when a Christian dies and you see the peace on their face, and to know that when other people die, that there's that pain or that fear in their eyes. It's not something we have to, to, to live with. You can make a choice today. You can change your eternity based upon a decision that we get to make. And we're going to look at how things kind of go as God impacts the situation. Verse number 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned, notice he says, this time, <laughs> I've sinned this time, the other time it's not so much. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord is righteous, he says, and I and my people are wicked. Man, Pharaoh is seriously impacted by what's going on. He's looking outside the windows and seeing all the explosions and hearing the thunder. He's like, whoa, man, okay, 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 we got to finish this up somehow. The realization of how his rebellion against God has brought these plagues gives Pharaoh a moment of clarity. He clearly sees the truth of his own sin as well as the sin of his countrymen. The first step in redemption is recognizing, first of all, that we have sin. And we have to recognize our own personal failures. This requires humility, which we've been talking about. We can choose to be humble, or guess what? We can be humbled, right? There are people that experience a humbling in life. We've watched people that have been bold and prideful reach a point in time where they're absolutely brought to their knees. God doesn't do it to hurt them. He's trying to reach them to a point in their heart where they're willing to say, I need you. Pharaoh is being humbled amidst these trials, and he's saying all the right things right now, but the question is, is he sincere? Verse number 28, he says, entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. Man, whatever you want, I'm in, baby. Y'all are going to get go. It's all done. This is, this is the end. My heart is changed. You're out of here. It made me think about because we're going to find out this. There's a guy by the name of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was a World War II uh, bomber pilot or bomber, a uh, bombardier. And in World War II, about 1946, 1947, something like that, he crashes out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right? And when they're out in the ocean, he ends up up in a a raft with a couple of other guys. One of the guys eventually dies after a few days, but there's two of them, him and and his friend Phil. And they float in a raft across the Pacific Ocean, thousands and thousands of miles for 47 days. They're eating anything. They're catching, they catch an albatross and they kill it and just eat right there on the boat because they've got nothing else. They're being hit and attacked by sharks the entire time while they're hitting the boat, knocking the boat, getting knocked out of the boat. They get strafed by airplanes. All these reasons that they should die. Well, it comes a time, and there's something called the doldrums in the ocean. What happens is it becomes so crystal flat. It's like a reflective, it looks like a mirror. And he's laying there, Phil's unconscious, and Louis's on there, and he's sitting on, he's on his knees, and he's looking out across this water. And he looks up, and he says, God, if you'll save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Just save me. Not too long after that, a few days later, guess what? They get picked up by a Japanese troller. He goes, to, he goes to, 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 the, to the prison camps. He lives an unbelievable, awful life. And what happens over time is his life goes right back to the way it was. He goes back into anger and drinking and frustration. And it doesn't take till years down the road, God finally broke through and changed his life. And he did fulfill that promise that he made. But see, what happened with him was he didn't want God. He just wanted rescue, right? And that's what it comes down to. Pharaoh is exactly that way. He doesn't, he's not choosing God. He's not walking by faith. He's simply cho- choosing to escape his situation. This was not reverential God-honoring faith, but a faith of convenience. A decision based upon duress instead of a sincere heart. This faith of convenience we see here is in Pharaoh. Look in verse number 29. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the, and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail, and thou mayest know how the, that the earth is the Lord's. He's going, I'm going to stop the hail, and I'm going to do it for God's glory. I want you to notice that starting the hail was for God's glory, and stopping the hail is for God's glory. In life, the trials that we live, And the deliverances that we we experience, guess what? They're all for God's glory. They all have a purpose. Verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord, the Lord God. He says, look, you don't reverence him. I know, even though I know you're not being honest with me right now, right? You're frustrated. Even though you're not going to keep your word or honor your word, I'm going to honor mine. Verse number 31. And the flax and the barley were switten, for the barley was in the, was in the ear and the flax was bold. What this is talking about, and what's an interesting little fact to kind of know about this, this is another picture of the mercy of God. Verse number 32 says this, but the wheat and the rye were not spitten, for they were not grown up, okay? So the flax and the barley, barley was used for making alcoholic beverages. It was not a matter of survival. It was about making beer. The flax was actually used for making rope and making fabric or making, making clothing. So the two crops that God destroyed are not ones that are the ones that they needed for food. The ones that he needed for food, guess what? They had not grown up yet. God yet again displaying mercy to the Egyptians. Verse 33, and Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands upon, unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. Moses intercedes for the Egyptians, knowing that they are not sincere. It doesn't matter if Pharaoh is sincere, or a man of his word. What matters is that Moses' testimony on God's behalf is consistent with God's character. God being represented. The same must be true of us as children of God. Our responsibility as ambassadors for Christ is to consistently reflect His character. It doesn't matter what others do, what, the way they react or the things that they do. It should not alter our behavior. We should be consistent in the fact that, you know what? If I represent the Lord in a good day, I also represent Him on a bad day. And I deal with a person who's easy to get along with, I represent the Lord. And I deal with somebody frustrating, guess what? I represent the Lord. We need to be consistent. does not matter. They should not alter us. We should alter them. Verse 34, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned, yet... More, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So Pharaoh and the people, they chose to go right back into sin, right? True faith reveals itself through a changed life. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 35, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Now, looking at all that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had endured, right, most of us are thinking, how in the world, how in the world could they look out at the burning fields outside and all the destruction and the bodies and the, and the animals and everything destroyed, how can they look out there and go right back to the way they were? Yet, as we look out on the fields of our world, there's destruction in people's homes, in our society, We can look at it and we can clearly see the smoke. We can clearly see the destruction. Yet people will deny that it even exists. Just like the Egyptians, there will always be those that will cling to their ideology and reject God, literally denying the evidence that's all around them. They can look at the burning fields of our world and their lives and still put their faith in themselves or the planet instead of the one who created it all. Instead of being frustrated and discouraged, we must be like Moses and be faithful. Faithfully sharing the truth. Faithfully representing God. Faithfully sharing the warning. Not to scare people, not to coerce them, but to help them to understand who God is. Our job is to tell them of his great love and the wonderful home that he has prepared for them. John 14:1 and 2 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Access to this place, this home, it's a matter of faith. Trusting Him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith. Right? And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's about faith, faith, faith. When it comes to salvation, God looks within us, and he knows the truth of our faith. First Samuel 16, verse 7 says this, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God knows the truth. If after our salvation experience there was no change in who we were and what we did, then we need to honestly examine our faith. There should be a change. Our salvation will be reflected in how we live. You know your heart. You know your life. What takes is a time for us to examine ourselves. Because the kind of faith that Moses has is trusting God. The kind of faith that Pharaoh has is convenient faith. It fits the scenario and the situation, but it does not change him. When we consider our relationship with the Lord, was it established upon the true faith that brought change in who we were? Or was it convenient faith that left us the same as we were? We have to evaluate that. When God saved my soul on that night, August 11th, 2001, I went down on my knees, one man, and I stood up another. God dramatically changed our hearts. And I went from someone who didn't really care so much about other people to being burdened for people to where I would sit in traffic and cry over the souls of men and women and boys and girls. God changes who you are because he wants to use you for a purpose, not for self, but for him. We've got to be willing to give up who we are. We've got to be willing to say, you know what, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to change this planet, to change the lives of the broken people that are outside these doors. Was It established based upon true faith or convenient faith. One will save your soul and give you a home in heaven, and the other will take you to hell. You can have the best intentions in the world. You can talk about God all day long. You can read the Bible every day. You can pray every day. You can do the greatest things in the world. But unless you have saving faith, it will do you no good. Because it says it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. And our world is full of people that are trying to get to heaven based upon their works. Every day, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be the right person. You don't do those things to get to be a Christian. You do them because you are a Christian. Amen. The light of the Lord shines out of you. You can't help it. Right. And if you've got to f- make a facsimile of it and you've got to fake it for the sake of humanity, there's a problem. Yeah. Because the cool thing as a Christian is it just comes out. Yeah. You try to hide it. I was so cool. I went to, my, my wife is never going to go to Taco Bell for the rest of her life. This is a guaranteed fact. So yesterday she was doing her own thing and I was like, I'm going to lunch for Taco Bell. I went. I <laughs> went. <laughs> I went to Taco Bell by myself, and I got a $5 box, right? And what was really neat was a girl behind the register. I went and got my food and stuff like that. I sat down, and I came back up, and she goes, can I ask you something? I see this man? She said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was like, this man I am. She said, you know what? This whole place changed when you came in. not me. It's in through me, man. I wasn't doing anything. It just comes out. It just comes out. That's what we want, is if we do that, we can impact this world. Because guess what? People's going to put your people, because God's going to put people around you. These opportunities that we look at and we go, why, 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 why? What if the why is you? He just wants to use you to impact them. But what happens is the devil lies to us and gets us so caught up on ourselves that we can't look at anyone else and we're so focused upon us and me and me and me and I and me and me and I and you don't understand what I'm going through. And God says, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Let me shine. Let me shine. Because I can use you. In this life, we can focus on ourselves and waste a lot of energy. Or we can learn how to get out of the way and let the light of the Lord shine in the lives of others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to hear, to hear from you. And uh, Lord, you've spoken to me, for sure. If no one else got anything out of it, Lord, I'm thankful. So thankful for the work that you've done in my heart. And uh, Lord, I just want to pray that, uh, God, you'll help us as we start our second year, uh, start our third year, uh, Lord, that you will allow us, God, uh, to be a place that truly does shine the light of the Lord and the love of Christ in the lives of the broken. Lord, that are searching for help. They're living in the fear, and they're facing destruction. But God, there is a way out. There is a home that you have prepared for them. And Lord, help us to be the ones that introduce them to the truth of that love. Not what religion has said, not what they believe to be true, but who you really are. A God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy, but at the same time, a God of justice, and a God of judgment. The same fate will fall upon every one of us, Lord. If we deny Christ, we will face eternity in hell. But by receiving your son, God, you will lovingly embrace us in your arms and our home with you. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm a little scared. It's okay. Remember, God can use the good and the bad. God can use fear as a motivator to bring us to know who he is. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know. If this was my day, if I faced eternity today, before the day was out, this was it. Your final day on earth. And after this, you would face eternity. If you're not absolutely certain that you're going to open your eyes in the presence of the Lord, you don't know you're saved. Guess what? You can know today because the loving God that reached out to me 17 years ago is reaching out to you right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I do not know. I do not know. Pray for me. What I want to do is I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, I do not know, but I want to know. I want a relationship with God. I don't want to live in fear. I want to walk in faith. If that's you today, raise your hand so I can see it. No one's going to look at you. No one's going to say anything to you. I'm going to pray for you. That's it. You're here today and you say, I do not know. Raise your hand so I can pray for you. Say, Amen. I see that hand. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Maybe you've had a convenient faith, but you've not had some faith. It's not about being a member of a church, it's about a relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, I do not know, and you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in the words, they'll do nothing for you. It's a matter of the heart. God is looking within us. And if you want to receive Christ and you're sincere and you say this prayer and you mean it, God will save you and he will change your eternity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you can repeat after me in your heart, in your mind, online, wherever you are. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I'm so thankful that you love me in spite of myself. And I accept your love wholeheartedly. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I ask you to pay the price for the debt that I cannot pay. Lord, save my soul. Come into my life and give me that home in heaven. I love you and I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray.